0: One of the things that we see about the Son of Man in Daniel 7 is that He is coming again, and He's coming with the clouds, power, and great glory. Sometimes we underestimate the power of our Lord, the power of Jesus Christ. This is the one that we follow, and even when times get dark, He is the one who's coming to rescue and judge the world. Do you know Him? Well, we're going to learn more about the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in Daniel 7 today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. If you go back to verse seven of Daniel seven for a moment, you'll notice that Daniel says, after this I kept looking in the night visions, and of course nighttime is especially, I guess it magnifies stuff like this, right? You know, if you, have, if you wake up from a nap and it's a daytime nap and you kind of have a, a scary dream, it's one thing. But if it's in the middle of the night, isn't it a little different? It's a little bit more weird, spooky, perhaps. He says, behold, a fourth beast. And this is um, the dominant beast of this chapter is the fourth one and a kingdom that emerges from the fourth beast. And that beast was dreadful, terrifying and extremely strong. Now the other beasts remember were regular animals, but this beast has large iron teeth, it connects to the iron legs in uh, Daniel 2. It devoured, it crushed, it trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the beasts or empires mentioned prior to it that were before it, and it had 10 horns. Now, many have done studies historically on whether you could find a ten horn um, kind of connection to the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great and how that kind of devolved and even in the Roman Empire. And I think it's a grasping really at straws to find a symmetry there, because I do believe that what we're seeing is from Daniel 2 to Daniel 7 is we're seeing something that's going to be there at the end of the age. And we see a connection here, which I want to remind you of, which is important to see in terms of the timing of these things. Notice in verse nine, let me get a little bit of water because I already feel my throat going. He says, I kept looking until thrones were set up in the ancient of days. We believe here the father took his seat. His vesture was like white snow the hair of his head like pure wool some of you will remember revelation 1:14 similar descriptions of jesus because they share divine attributes yet you're going to see a distinction in the persons but a similarity in descriptions of their nature or their glory because we do believe in a triune god and so his vesture like white snow hair of his head like pure wool You can write down Revelation 1.14. His throne was ablaze with flames and its wheels were burning, were a burning fire. If you're interested in looking at a parallel passage, I won't go there tonight. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, where when Ezekiel sees the throne of God, he sees wheels and fire and these mysterious movements of uh, what's going on there. It's a very intriguing passage and it, has some connection to uh, verse 9 of Daniel 7. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, before the Lord. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. There's other descriptions and other passages that speak of angels who attend the Lord. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat. The books were opened. Now, in order to, to anchor ourselves in a historical timeline... We do know that at the end of the age, uh, the books will be opened. And uh, this is Revelation 20. This is verses 12 through 15. It says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. It goes on to say, the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. They were judged, everyone, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, sad, but here it is. He was cast into the lake of fire. So you can see at the end of things, at the end of the book of Revelation, there's similar language to Daniel 7 which tells us that this is taking us all the way to the end. Notice in Daniel 7.10, it says, the court sat, after God is uh, described here in similar language to Revelation 1 and even Revelation 4 and 5, the court sat, look at the end of verse 10, the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words, thank you, which the horn was speaking I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed time. So we have identified the horn, the arrogance of the Antichrist. You can go back and listen to last week's message if you missed that. And I kept looking, and we pointed out that sometimes when we're reading tough stuff, we're going through tough times, we need to keep looking. And in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days. So notice he's distinct from the one seated on the throne. And he was presented before him. Now, if I just asked you for a moment to tell me who you know described himself as the son of man in the Bible, you might come up with two answers. One is Ezekiel seemed to describe himself that way. And Jesus used the title for himself some 69 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 69 times. In fact, to my recollection, you can go back and check me on this, I think he only described himself as the Messiah once from his lips. And that's in the book of John, chapter 4, in interaction with the Samaritan woman. But other than that, over and over again, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man directly quoting or taking us back to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. So if you want to understand the title that Jesus uh, appeals to the most as you study your Bible, it's this one and it's from this place. One like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the Ancient of Days. Would you notice in verse 13, he was coming with what? the clouds of heaven. He's described as the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, James Boyce comments, he says, there are many titles for Jesus in the New Testament. He is called Lord, Christ or Messiah, the good shepherd, the bridegroom. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. Many titles of God the Father are given uh, to him. He's the great I am. But Jesus never used these titles for himself. Others gave them to him. He did not even use the word Messiah except for John 4.26. The only biblical title uh, Jesus did use, says Boyce, and that almost exclusively was the title the Son of Man. Let me repeat it. 69 times in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and 12 times in John. That's over 80 times in the New Testament that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Do you find that significant? I do. And I think he's saying something about who he is for anybody who's ever studied the Bible, anybody who's ever cracked open the book of Daniel and was willing to read beyond chapter 6, which we talked about last week, is sometimes hard for people to do. All right, I read about the lion's in, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm going to move to another book now. But anybody who's looked at the prophetic sections of Daniel and seen this Son of Man revealed in the Old Testament some 500 years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem would see and know the connection when Jesus continues to call himself the Son of Man. In Luke 18.8, for example, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Good question, isn't it? I want to show you just a few things in your New Testament before we continue in Daniel. Go to John 3 for a second. I just want to show you a few places that are very important that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. So, for example, his title, Son of Man, speaks of his pre-existence. He existed before Bethlehem, before he was born in Bethlehem, obviously, if he's in Daniel 7 here. And it speaks of his suffering and his saving power. This is John 3, look at verse 13. He says, Jesus speaking, No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven. That's Jesus' origin, even the Son of Man, John three thirteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. You need to know who the Son of Man is. Turn over to John 6. Look at verse 53 and 54. An often misunderstood and misinterpreted section. Jesus is not speaking about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's using a picture about taking him in into your life, being born again, believing in him. And he says in John six fifty three, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. This is what's at stake to know the Son of Man. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus speaks of final judgment in John 5. Look at verse 24. And this relates, of course, directly to what we see in Daniel 7 when he says, John five twenty-four. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Notice he calls himself the Son of God there. And those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son to have life in himself. And he gave him authority, think of Daniel 7, to execute judgment because he is the Son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Think of the end of the age. Those who did the good deeds, think of the books open to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil or the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In Matthew 24. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving-kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD, set, or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit WalkingTruth.com today. That's WalkingTruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walking Truth. when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, notice he calls himself the Son of God there, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave the Son to have life in himself. And he gave him authority, think of Daniel 7, to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice, And shall come forth. Think of the end of the age. Those who did the good deeds, think of the books open to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil or the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. In Matthew 24, here's the other one. There's many I could show you, but this is Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' sermon about his return given from the Mount of Olives. This is Matthew 24. Look at verse 29. Matthew twenty-four twenty-nine says, Jesus speaking, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man, Matthew 24, 30, will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on what? Coming on the clouds. Of the sky with power and great glory. Now, those are not rain clouds. I think all scholars would agree those are the glory, Shekinah glory clouds that kind of is like the cloud that descended upon the children of Israel in the wilderness wanderings or hovered over the tabernacle and temple. And he, the Son of Man, will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together, the angels will his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other flip over to Matthew 26 just the next chapter here's Jesus he's being tried unjustly illegally Matthew 26:63 says the high priest go back to 62 said to him do you make no answer what it, what is it that these men are testifying against you but Jesus kept silent the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you shall see who? The Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, if, you're, if you know your Bible at all and you're the high priest or you're part of the council, what are you referring to? Daniel 7. What's he saying He's the Son of Man in Daniel 7. He's the Messiah. He is divine. And of course, the response is telling. The high priest tore his robes, saying, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What are they saying? They're saying that Jesus has just said he's God He's the Messiah. He's the Son of Man from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. What more do we need? We got him to admit it, if you will. Well, Jesus wasn't really hiding it. Of course, his miracles bore witness to who he was. Back to Daniel. And so we see the throne. We see the timing is interesting as you try to navigate, if you've been studying and reading through some of the commentaries on Daniel, and you see the different views, and you see the different scholars wrestle with it, you have to see that the return of Jesus Christ is in the midst of these descriptions of this last beast. So it gives you an indication of the timing, doesn't it? Of all that we may not know, here's what we do know. This dream, these visions that Daniel sees are in a last day's context. They are in a context of the return or second coming of Jesus. And by virtue of that, they're yet future to us, at least this aspect is. Everybody with me? So for all that we might struggle with interpreting, here's what we do know. Jesus is coming with the clouds. He's identified himself as the Son of Man, verse 13. He's presented before the Father or the Ancient of Days. And to him, Daniel 7, 14, to the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language, no exception, might serve him. NIV says might worship him. This is an Aramaic word because remember, we're from Daniel 2, moving through Daniel 7, It switched from Hebrew to Aramaic and then we'll move back to Hebrew. So the word serve, if you have a New American Standard, is translated worship in the NIV because the word, if you look it up, can mean either. If you want the word, it's pelac, P-E-L-A-C. It means to serve, worship, revere, or minister, or serve. And so Jesus Christ is going to have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation serving Him, which we see in Revelation. His dominion is how long? It's an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom, unlike these other kingdoms, will never be destroyed. And all God's people said, Praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Our God reigns. What's the point, Daniel? Here's the point. Babylon seems so strong. Maybe Medo-Persia seems so strong. Greece, Rome, and this final world empire is going to be dreadful, terrible, a crushing machine. Even, we're going to see, making war with the saints at least for a time and prevailing. However, our God reigns. And Jesus Christ is going to destroy this final beast with the glory of his coming, with the breath of his mouth, the the glory of his coming as we read in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. And you are part of that kingdom. And so if you happen to be here in those last days, here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. But these are the events that Jesus said you are to look for to know that his coming is near. You will see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. That's in Matthew 24, 15. And so in many ways, Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is a vision of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Here he's called the Son of Man. And it's a vision of his second coming and his coronation as the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's when he takes the kingdom, if you will, and begins to reign Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. Here's where he will make all that has been wrong right. Here's where, where every knee will bow, including yours, by the way. If you're a person listening to this message and you're not a believer yet, your knee is going to bow. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? To the glory of God the Father. And so good that you would bow now. (laughs) Amen. Instead of having to bow later. Now what's Daniel's response to these visions? Some people might say, man, Daniel had to be freaked out. He had to be intrigued. He had to say, man, prophecy, eschatology. Yeah. But you know what Daniel did? Daniel said verse 15, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. He wasn't so much intrigued as he was alarmed, although he's intrigued about the last beast, and he's going to specifically ask about it. I mention this in verse 15 because some of you will walk out of here alarmed tonight. And if you do, and many of you walk out alarmed after my sermons, I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Just know that you're in good company if, if you leave that way tonight. Daniel says, I approached one of those who were standing, standing by generally would be considered an angel here, and began asking him the exact meaning of all this, wouldn't you? I mean, if you had a shot to ask somebody who was shiny, hanging around, what does all this mean? That's what I'd like to know. What's the meaning of all this? And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, 17, which are four in number, and we've studied those, are four kings, here's the interpretation, who will rise from the earth, or the sea of humanity in verse three. But the saints of the highest one, that's God's people, will receive, they won't usher in the kingdom, they'll receive the kingdom in God's time, God's way, and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Did everybody read that? How long is the kingdom of God gonna last? Forever. These kingdoms that look so mightily mighty, whether they're Babylon or Rome, or if you were living in the time when Nazi Germany was on the rise and trying to take a stand, maybe you were part of a, a nation that was attacked and it looked like things were very bleak. Well, the kingdom of the highest one will last forever. You see, we will reign with him forever and ever. On this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. That's Isaiah 25, seven through nine. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, this scary one that wasn't like any other animal, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze. Bronze. We get a little bit more detail. It had claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. You can imagine what Daniel saw, just like when John saw the Revelation, the last book of our Bible, and how many weird, freaky images he saw and tried to maybe interpret through the lens of his time? Well, Daniel's saying the same. And so he sees the claws of bronze which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with, with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, the other horn which came up, that little one we saw earlier, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption, as Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH and we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.